Hello, and welcome to the 3D Meetup Podcast. For this episode, we sat down with Brian Horgan. Brian is a talented freelance animator and rigger. We go over his unusual road into the animation industry, as well as some of the resources he's used to get him where he is today. We talk about some of the tools he's built and where to find them, and we finish up with some general advice and some book recommendations. I learned an awful lot recording this episode, and I'm sure you'll get a lot from it too. So I'm here with Brian Horgan. Brian, thanks very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. No, thank you. Great to be here. Um, I guess we'll just get stuck in. Um, can you tell me about how you got into 3D yourself? Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of a long, long route. I, like when I was a kid, I was kind of um, quite into like puppet shows and, and mm. doing magic shows and all this kind of thing. And then um, a little bit later on, I got into computers with so the home computer boom came along. Uh, I got a VIC-20 and I... I, I you know, the thing was to play games on it, but then I also kind of was interested in um, programming it. I learned a bit of basic, and um, I actually ended up learning, like, machine code and stuff like that a little bit, just to make it. I remember making, a, like, a side-scrolling little game. Wow. With it. And um, so there was kind of that interest in, in kind of making my own characters and worlds and stuff, I guess, from a from very young age. I was, like, 9 or 10. And then when I was about 12, 13, I kind of... Yeah, the the computer thing was was great, but it was quite solitary. And you know, being a teenager, I wanted to kind of get out in the world a little bit and meet girls and that kind of stuff. So I I, I was also really into music. So I I kind of pursued music for a long time. I played guitar in a lot of bands, and uh, worked in a music shop. And I did that for for a good chunk of my life. And then um, I I was still using computers a little bit because as well as being in bands, I was doing a little bit of my own kind of electronic stuff on the side, like with little samplers and. I had an Atari ST at one stage running Cubase, like the very early version of it, just running MIDI. And um, so I used to play around with that a little bit, but it was predominantly just, you know, as a tool for doing music. It wasn't really something I was, I was using a lot. And then um, I uh, ended up breaking my knee, which okay. a dislocation fracture and tore a ligament and really did a number on it. Can I ask, uh, what were you doing when you broke your knee? I might have to plead the fifth on that. Uh, <laughs> it's a long story, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I ended up really, really wrecking the knee, basically, mm-hmm. and um, just it, it it changed my life fundamentally. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I ended up losing the job I had because I just couldn't physically do it. It was it was working in a music shop, which doesn't sound very physical, but there was a lot of loading equipment and that kind of stuff. And then uh, playing in a band as well was something I really enjoyed, but it became a hassle as well because the same thing, moving equipment around and jumping around on the stage and stuff like that. Just it just took a lot of the fun out of it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I eventually left the job I was in and the band I was in finished and I was kind of adrift a little bit for a while. And um, I, I kind of, uh, the computer thing got back to me, okay, I have this background in computers, so maybe I can try and do something with that. And I can, you know, it's having something you can do sitting down, which is kind of appealing at that time. And um, so I started looking at web design. I did a little bit of web design because I had some contacts people I played in bands with were looking for websites at that stage and it was still something you kind of get into a little bit and um, so I learned I actually learned a little bit of coding there as well I am um, this was back before flash was an evil thing or considered an evil thing um, so I learned a little bit of flash action script which was quite similar to basic in its construction in, in how it was written and that so I learned a little bit of that and I designed a few websites but I didn't find it hugely satisfying you know once I'd made my own website and made a couple of other bands and stuff I it kind of got boring quite honestly um, 
and so then I started looking you know it's kind of still something to do with computers but something a little bit more creative so with, with the music background I thought well maybe motion graphics maybe you know doing something with like because I'd, I'd done um, sort of videos and stuff like that for, for the band I was in we'd, we'd mess around with some of our, our music with the, the most recent band I was in were quite prog I guess and we used to do a light show and kind of you know projections and this kind of thing so I was trying to do something with that uh, and then I thought well maybe I'll you know leverage that kind of idea into like motion graphics so i started looking around the web um you know how do you learn motion graphics what's the what's the program to use and and cinema 4d was the one that came up um so i got that and i joined the forum um actually i think it's still going these days but it's different people running it now uh the c4d cafe there's a guy called nigel doyle an australian guy was running it and he was doing tutorials for a cinema uh video tutorials um so I got on that and I, um, I, I started learning motion graphics and learning the ins and outs of cinema and, and uh, I eventually got on the, the Beezer team and, and did did quite a bit with that. But um, I, all the time I just kind of felt that I wasn't really passionate about motion graphics. It was something that was interesting and I had the musical side to it but um, didn't really, I don't know, just didn't really... Scratch that itch. yeah. And uh, I kind of went back to thinking about, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love doing little puppet shows and things like this for little kids in the neighborhood. Um, I always loved the Muppet show and, and, and Disney movies. and stuff. So I kind of thought, well, maybe characters, something with actual characters would be more interesting, you know, character animation. And that, um, But I was using, the problem was I'd kind of homestrung myself because I was using cinema rather than kind of industry software, Maya, which, you know, um, was a bit of a problem because... A, there was no character rigs for it almost, and B, there was almost no tools dedicated to uh, to character animation. So, out of necessity, really, just because I wanted to, to do stuff, I started learning how to rig characters. It was kind of like it really took a long way around to do, to do so this. The, sorry, this. just to be sure that so you're still working in cinema now? No, no, I to, haven't you've worked in it for no. I mean, two or three years at, now. at the time when you're studying. You're creating rigs in cinema, or had you moved to Maya at that stage? No, I was using cinema, yeah, at that point. Okay. And, um, it, like, at this stage, this wasn't a professional thing. It was yeah, just yeah. kind of an interest, you know. And um, But I really wanted to do character animation, and um, I, so I started learning how to rig and how to do basic modeling and stuff like that and started building. Uh, I made friends with a uh, guy, actually, he passed away a couple of years ago, Cactus Stan, uh, who was a plug-in developer for cinema. And uh, I learned a lot about rigging from him, actually. And, and then from online tutorials and stuff. But the, the the frustrating part about it was I started watching. In those days, it's it, there's loads of animation tutorials out there now if you go looking and lots of schools and stuff online that will teach you. But back, this is seven, eight years ago, I guess, uh, the dark ages, and there was um, very little information on the web at that point. Uh, but the one person who was putting out stuff was a guy called Keith Lango, um, who was doing his own uh, video training session videos. And so he was doing these little short demo kind of screen capture videos of showing his process in Maya and uh, showing some of the tools he was using and that kind of thing. And there was one particular tool that he was always using called Tween Machine, which basically allows you to, um, uh, in an animation uh, term, favor a pose towards one pose or another. So say you've got like uh, pose A, pose B, you can kind of weight it back towards pose A or, or forward towards 
pose B, rather than doing it by hand, you have a little kind of slider and a, a, even a percentage you can put in. And that's um, done a lot like in traditional animation. They, they'll favor a pose that it's coming from so somebody won't just hit a pose and then bounce off it and feel kind of artificial. Because pretty much everything in, in the world, in physics, Will, will accelerate and decelerate mm-hmm. you know even even a machine will have to have some bit of what they call ease in and ease out as it changes direction and uh, so this this was a tool specifically designed to to make that process easier you could select an entire character rig and just um hit you know favor back towards that pose or favor towards the next one and this is something that he had built himself no it was something that that was out there for Maya. like oh, it was okay. it was a script um Oh, Justin Barrett uh, okay, was the name yeah. of the guy who, who wrote the original version. And other people had written other versions then for, for 3D Studio Max because it was one of those tools that people saw and went, yeah, that's, that should be built into the program. It still isn't, actually, funnily enough, in Maya, but, but it's, everybody has that script, so everybody uses it. But the problem was I was using cinema, so I was, using, I was watching his video tutorials, and most of what he was doing I was able to translate to cinema, you know, more or less... Um, but that was one kind of sticking point. I was also looking at that tool going, I, just, I really want that. So I started looking into scripting in cinema initially. And uh, the, there's a couple of, now I have Python in, in cinema as well, which is a bit more user-friendly probably. But the one that was in it at the time was uh, called Coffee. I, I think it was somebody's pun on, on Java or whatever. It was, it was that kind of language. And, and to me, it kind of looked familiar. It kind of looked a little bit like ActionScript, which looked a little bit like Basic. So yeah. I was able to kind of, the syntax wasn't that difficult to get my head around. The um, what was difficult, and and I think is still difficult in cinema, is that there was very little information out there. Right. Um, very few people you could ask for help. But I managed to find some people on forums and that kind of thing back when they were still a thing, before Facebook killed them off. But um, <laughs> the um, I managed to get enough people together to kind of help me stumble through writing my own version of this tween machine thing for a cinema. So and that was really my first introduction to, to scripting for it. And it was really just I wanted that tool. So I had to learn to to write the tool because nobody else was going to make it, you know, because there were very few people doing any sort of character animation in cinema at the time. It's still a relatively small group, but there are more, definitely more these days. But but there just wasn't that tool available. Um, so that once I got it working, I put it on my website then and kind of just shared it with other people, you know, hoping, you know, that people would use it and people might you know it might encourage other people to write their own tools and that kind of stuff um as i started showing this stuff online as i started doing these really like looking back now terrible animation tests uh i was kind of standing out because nobody else was doing that in cinema so i managed to find a little niche of you know hey this guy does character stuff and then all these kind of motion graphics houses in in particularly in, in england actually at the time um were you know doing commercials and that with you know motion graphics kind of stuff but every now and then their client would say to them oh can we put some characters in there so they'd go oh well that guy in Dublin he 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 can do the character stuff so I became sort of a rigger slash animator because I really animation was what I wanted to do in the first place but again it was like well we have no character rigs for cinema so we have to build them first write the tools <laughs> and then animate them you know so that's really why I learned the, the, the kind of three stages um, it wasn't that I wanted to be an expert in any of them, really. I just I wanted to just animate, yeah. but it was kind of like puppet shows. I had to get the sock out of the drawer and stick and stick buttons on it, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. you were building it from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and then, um, you know, I I, that, that, I managed to start making 
a living, you know, a small. I was still teaching music and that kind of stuff, but I was I started gradually making sort of a living with with, with that. Um, but I was always kind of looking at Maya over my shoulder because that's where all the interesting work was was happening uh, for games and, and films and stuff like that. Whereas most of the stuff with cinema was kind of commercials and, and smaller, you know, web ideas and stuff like that, which was great. It was you know, for somebody like me who really didn't have a clue what they were doing. That that was a great place to start. But I just I just wanted to do more more elaborate and more interesting stuff. So over time, I started for a while. I was using both cinema and Maya, mm-hmm. and um, trying to port what I'd learned from one to the other. Uh, actually, a funny thing with that Tween Machine um, script was when I started using Maya and I started, I went, oh, now I can just go and download Tween Machine. And I um, started using it and went, oh, it doesn't work the way I thought it did. <laughs> and I'd gotten used to the way my cinema one worked. It's my true. cinema one, actually, I, I made a video about this a while back. It's on my Vimeo channel, uh, comparing how mine actually looks at the, pose and then the next one whereas it looks at it kind of averages them out it's it's the, the video explains it a lot better than i could and without, without some sort of visual thing but um but i kind of went oh um i like mine <laughs> so i ended up writing my own for for maya then again yeah, yeah because and like with maya um the, the one thing that was really great about it initially i started watching because uh, i wanted to do rigging i wanted to kind of transition to doing the same sort of work but in maya and uh, there was a guy called Jason Slifer. Slifer? Slifer? I'm not sure how you pronounce it exactly. Uh, he's uh, head of animation at DreamWorks now, uh, or at least last time I looked. Um, but he he was, um, he made a video called um, Animation Friendly Rigging. Oh, yeah, I know it. Yeah. And it's, it was kind of a long kind of a DVD thing, or you could, you could, you could get it online, um, you know, eight, eight, 12 hours of video. Where, and, it, and one of the things he said in one of his videos was, learn mail, learn mail, learn mail. And he was basically saying, you know, anything you do with rigging, if you're not automating it, you're not really doing it. Because especially in production, people will change their mind, they'll change the characters, they'll suddenly give you a new, they'll suddenly go, right, but we want 10 of those. And, you know, being able to automate stuff in a pipeline is is, is essential, you know. Um, so he, he pushed that idea of just, you know, just learn mail. And in his rigging uh, videos, there are, Scripts that he shows you how he how he wrote them and stuff like that to show to do various things to set up an IK arm or a lot of the stuff that's funny a lot of the stuff that's kind of easy in cinema is hard in Maya and vice versa. Okay. You know a lot of the kind of high level stuff is actually done for you in cinema, but then you can't really get into the workings of it. It's kind of like it's it's blocked off. Whereas in Maya you have to do a lot of stuff manually, but then when you want to go deeper, you can kind of you can kind of really. Get under the hood, the yeah, and, yeah. and you know, I often feel like Lego, or sorry, Maya is like a Lego box with a few bits missing, but it's very easy to make your own bits and just bolt them on. And yeah. I, I think that's just, it's basically basic strength as a, as a program. I think that's really why it's so used in the industry for animation because most of the, the places that use it have their own suites of tools that they've bolted onto it, yeah. and it's very easy that way. That was one area where cinema was traditionally very weak. Um, like the SDK, which is the the software development kit, which is kind of the the manual for people coming into it, was always kind of an afterthought. Whereas with Maya, it was like, this is the thing. This is where you start, you know, almost. And the documentation for Maya for the coding stuff is really really good. Can um, I ask you then, just while we're on the topic, if if there's if there was someone who was trying to get into that side of Maya with the Mail and the Python, could you give them some advice and maybe some res- resources to look at? 
Yeah, like when I started, there was, um, I think it was uh, Noman, the, the, the school, they had a, a video called Mel 101, uh, which again was another kind of long kind of DVD series, but it was a kind of a, a selection of practical examples of like why you would script something and why or where you would take it. I think nowadays, though, there's, there's probably um, a lot more out there than there would have been, and there's probably a lot more Python stuff now. Uh, like when, when Maya, I, I think Python was only added to Maya, uh, like after it was developed like like cinema um it was it was kind of bolted on but mel is the kind of underlying language in maya uh, it's maya embedded language is, the, is what it stands for um so it's it's some like like a, a proper coder would tell you don't learn mel learn python because it'll teach you better coding etiquette if you like you know better better practices and for some things yeah python's absolutely better um, but the thing about Mel is it's 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 kind of right there. Like when you do anything in the in the interface, a great way to start actually is just to do stuff with the script editor open, and you'll see you know just create a cube from the menu, a polycube, and you'll see it come up. Result polycube, and you can just literally go and copy that paste, copy and paste that piece of code from the script editor, and run it again, and you'll get another cube. Um, so that that side of it is actually quite intuitive. A lot of people have, have learned that way, I think, just, just literally doing stuff manually, seeing what comes out, and then just copy-pasting that, and then editing it so that you can actually change the names of things, or, you know. Um, so I, w- I would start, I would look at things like that. Um, there's a guy as well, I can't think of his name, but he goes under, I think he goes under the name of Brave Rabbit, is his, is his online name. Uh, and he does some, he, he develops his own plugins, and he does uh, some, some, um, some tutorials as well there's another guy who develops an animation player um for maya called keyframe pro and his name is chris zerbrig and he also has a series of python uh tutorials some of them i think are free and i think there's some that, that are paid for mm-hmm. um so he's probably a good one to go to go look at but the the other thing is is to go on um it's kind of changed names a couple of times over the years it used to be high-end 3d and then it was creative crash I think it might have switched back even to high end again, but um, if you go there and just search Maya script, you know you'll you'll get hundreds of, of entries um, for all sorts of things, like things people who, you know, for rigging or for making textures quickly or all sorts of different things like animation tools, and uh, I think that's the the good thing about it as well is, um, especially with Mel or, or Python as well, it's if you can just get examples and just pull them apart and start playing with them and. And the, the one really nice thing about scripting as well compared to, say, something I haven't gone into is developing plugins. With a plugin, you have to compile it and then, you know, restart Maya and run it. Whereas with a script, you're just constantly typing it and running it. So it's very interactive. You're not, you, don't, you never have to compile it or wait for it to, um, you know, to kind of code and then see, see did it work? You know, it's, the feedback is very immediate. So I think for somebody who wants to just automate a few things, you can start off very easily with, with, with Mal or Python and just, just automate it and just build on that then, um, you know. Just while we're talking about tools, uh, I wanted to ask you about the tools that you've built. Um, yeah. So are they all done in Python or Mal? Or? Um, most of them are still Mal. Um, I've written a couple in, in Python, but I haven't actually released them publicly. I, one, of, one of them I've, I've shared with an animator I know just to let him try it out. Um, the, th- the thing with um, developing tools for sale is it's a lot of work 
to get something that is unbreakable or, or as close as you can get it to unbreakable. Uh, like I, I have, I don't know, maybe a couple of hundred scripts I, I've written for myself that are often just to solve a particular task. If I'm if I'm rigging something and I realize oh, I have to change 17 eyelid clusters on one rig, you know, I'll write a script just for that rather than do it manually. And then those scripts go into a folder that I kind of dig into every now and then and kind of go, well, I need something similar to that. So I'll dig that one out and, and edit it a bit. So I have lots of scripts that are like that that are only designed for a particular purpose just to solve an issue or whatever. Um, or I have some animation tools that are similar to ones that exist already and that I just didn't like exactly how they worked and thought, well, I can take the idea and then just build on it. And um, again, those ones I keep for myself because I don't want to, you know, have people try them and go, oh, it doesn't do the thing I wanted to do. Or, you know, it, it becomes... That's one thing you, I, I feel like once you release something publicly you have a responsibility then to a certain amount you know even the ones I've given away free I remember saying thing, you know you put the disclaimer like this is free you know do what you will with it and but don't you know don't expect it to do anything and don't you know don't complain if it breaks and don't you know don't email me basically and you get hundreds of emails anyway people kind of going oh it doesn't work in the latest version of mine or it doesn't work in a Mac and I don't have a Mac to test it on there's that kind of things um so that's why I originally just just gave away scripts free, and I kind of thought you know to be a, a sort of a calling card, uh, which which totally worked actually. Um, I, um, I did it, it totally did kind of work as a, as a way of um, just letting people know I exist and and that I'm into animation and that kind of stuff. Um, I actually have uh, a sign or a contract with Disney on my wall at home. Um, they 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 tested out a BH Ghost, which is one of my. Um, my probably my most popular the first one I wrote that was really popular it was a tool for onion skinning for kind of giving you an outline of your character and um, they, they they had me sign a contract so they could test it legally even though I'd given it away free they didn't want me to hear through you know third hand that they'd been using it and now I was going to sue them or whatever so so they they signed this thing with me to say they were going to test it for, for like a month and give me feedback which they didn't do but you know I, I didn't bother getting my team of lawyers on their team of lawyers because I didn't think that would go too well. <laughs> but um, but it was really nice to be to be recognised, you know, yeah. to, to have somebody go, you know, hey, you're just some guy in Ireland, but but you've written something that we're that our animators are obviously finding interesting. It wasn't you know it, them; it was it was people were using it and kind of going, we, we want to use this and work. A, a lot of bigger studios are quite cagey, I think, about what people bring in in terms of tools. Uh, and it's another case, I guess, as well for for things that are just Mel or Python rather than plugins, because they can be quite light. You know, they, they don't really take up. You don't have to install them in a, in a particularly. There's not a big process to do that. You know, you can you can just literally copy paste it from an email into your into your script editor and just run it and then stick it on the shelf in Mel, in Maya, um, and and that's it. That that's the installation really done. You know, um, so I think that's that's part of the appeal of them as well. Can you talk a little bit about? Um how you went about kind of uh, capitalizing on them then because so you've you've created these tools and you have because you needed them yourself yeah yeah and what was the catalyst for putting them up on gun road or you know um it was, well part of it was just to see if it would work honestly it was just i was just curious because people had said you know i'd heard i was also kind of curious to see where are these things ending up you know because i'd hear every now and then or I'd, I'd be watching um you know a lot of people do behind the scenes videos and every now and then i'd see somebody's maya with a with a with, a, with, with the icon from my ghost script and i kind of go oh look they're using it in that studio you know and i and that's really how i'd find out a lot of the time whether people are using it or not 
um, or, or I, I get on a new project and I meet a new animator and they go, oh, I know you, I, I use your tools. You know, that, that was really nice. But it was kind of a thing of, well, if I sell them, then I know I can kind of keep track of them. It wasn't initially really a plan to get money necessarily. It was just to kind of like see, okay, well, how many people will actually buy this? And, you know, you know, rather than just having it on my website, people just download it randomly, you know. Um, actually, the funny thing, I think I mentioned this in the, in the Dog Patch lecture as well, was the, that the first one, I, the BH Ghost one, which is very popular, I released free, absolutely free. I Googled it about six months after releasing it to try and find out where it was ending up because it was very, and I found, you know, various blogs, people, animation blogs talking about it, and you know, that was kind of predictable enough. And then I found out a Where's site where people were talking about it, and somebody was going, oh, we have to figure out how to crack this, and how to copy this. And, mm-hmm. and uh, this went on for about three or four, you know, posts and then somebody at the end of the page kind of went you know you can just download it free from his website right so I was kind of like that was kind of interesting because it was kind of like okay well even if I give it away free people are going to try and copy it yeah. <laughs> you know or pirate it somehow yeah, um, which is kind of pointless because it's free anyway you can just grab it but um, so when I went into selling it I kind of thought well this isn't really a way to make money because people will just I assumed Hmm. I'm a little bit cynical I admit I assume people would just pirate it you know Um, so the first one I released I'm not sure which one it was but I released it for two dollars basically that's kind of okay that's a nominal fee like it's less than a cup of coffee but it's just enough that people actually have to people can't just click it and download they have to actually you know, get their credit card or their PayPal or whatever and actually do the process of so I can keep track of how it sells Um, and, and that one did reasonably well and I kind of thought okay um, and I was, what I was surprised about was it kept doing reasonably well. You know, it didn't just, I thought maybe it'll do well for a week and then it'll just fizzle out. But, but it kind of continually did well. And then I um, released a couple of other ones. And the, the one that, that's done the best, actually, it, it's funny, it's the most expensive one. Um, but it, it's the one I've actually sold the most copies of uh, is uh, BH Path Anim, which is a, a path animation system. And again, I, I wrote that purely because... Um, I needed it myself. You know, I've never written a tool that I haven't actually used, and I'm not saying that as like a, a sales pitch. It's just the truth. It's just I, 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 sometimes people will actually ask me, "Oh, do you write this thing?" and and I kind of think about it and go, "That sounds cool, but I never use it." So I'm uh, sorry, no, I probably won't. You know, because uh, I, I just don't have the time. You know, it, it's 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 all about just writing stuff that that's going to make me help me work more efficiently or whatever. You know, that that that's really why um, I write stuff and. Um, yeah, Pat Anim was, was, was inspired directly by, I was doing a creature animation course uh, with a great teacher actually, Marco Folia, um, at, at Animate. It was a creature workshop one. Um, I'd already done the feature course there because I, I really wanted to transition from being a rigger uh, and slash animator to being an animator just full time because I, I enjoyed the certain aspects of rigging and, and, and writing scripts and that kind of stuff. But uh, the problem solving aspect I guess is kind of like an interesting puzzle and I, you know, I'd go to bed and wake up in the morning and go ah that's that, that kind of process is, is fun for me I guess um, but rigging for me and I appreciate people who do it well but for me it got quite monotonous once you've you know I remember rigging I think about 15 characters for a console game and they're all the same character basically just you know different proportions and it was the same rig every time and and that you know i kind of went yeah this, it's great but i'd rather be animating them and there were two other people who were animating just animating and i was always kind of jealous of the guys who were just getting to do the animation and i had to you know i had to drop what i was doing when they'd go oh the rig's acting a bit weird or whatever i had to you know stop and animating my shot and start looking at their their files for them or whatever and um and that 
you know, it just it always felt like I was task switching a lot. And uh, I kind of felt like I'd really love to just do the animation. So that's why I started going to Animate, which is an online school actually run by an Irish guy called Jason Ryan. Um, they weren't the first, I think Animation Mentor were the first big one. Uh, but Animate, I think, were, were the second one that came along. And they were, um, Jason had a, had a traditional animation background. Like he studied that in Bally Firmness years ago. And then he went on to DreamWorks and Disney, and he's, he's now an animation director up in um, in uh, Canada, I think, at the moment, Montreal, I think. And um, But he still runs the school, and uh, he's a very active part of it. And um, he, you know, that, that school kind of allowed me to basically, the, the, the whole people, I've often seen people on forums talking about, oh, should I take one of these courses? They're quite expensive and they're quite difficult, cause especially if you're in Europe, because they're all, most of the teachers are based in the States. So you're up at like three, four in the morning, you know, red eyed, trying to watch a lecture or trying to, you know, interact with them and they're giving you notes on your shots. But the, but the, it's worth it, I would say. It's because you can learn animation on your own, but it's kind of thing where you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Uh, and and there's what's that thing the Dunning Kruger Dunning Kruger effect yeah yeah there's that thing where you you know initially I, I think Brad Bird actually the guy who developed or you know he did the he was director of Iron Giant and Incredibles and stuff like that he said a thing about animation that uh, CG animation particularly that it's a bit like sampling in music that anybody can sort of get a decent result without having that much skill whereas like two D animation or or playing a musical instrument you know requires a bit more work before you even get anything that's sort of good and um, so the, the bar for CG entry I think it's always been kind of a little bit lower you don't have to be able to draw beautiful perspective and move object around while keeping the form you know you can take a model and move it around and you get the sense that oh there's a thing that's moving uh, it's not animated well but it's it's moving you know and um, but to get from that here's a thing moving to here's something that actually feels like it's alive that the acting is interesting the choices are interesting that's where you really need an expert guiding you I feel um, somebody to kind of look at your work and um, just say eh, you know it's not reading this isn't reading clearly or that isn't you know because the other thing is you get blind to your work very very quickly as well so having like a somebody looking at your work constantly the other thing it does as well is it gets you used to the, what you actually end up doing in, in production yeah because like they did the, the the film I'm working at the moment is is sort of visual effects and um, I I don't really want to maybe say the hours I worked on one particular shot but I think I got up to like version seventy or something you know where the director will have an idea the supervisor will have an idea the VFX supervisor will have an idea and you end up constantly changing it and there's a thing when you're when you're well, maybe it's just me but I don't think it's just me I think I've I've seen it in other people um, when you're first animating when you're first trying to make something feel real and you get something that's sort of halfway decent and then somebody tells you ah change that there's a huge resistance that you feel because uh, it's born out of I think insecurity that, that you can actually do it again you know there's this feeling that oh I managed to get it there but it's like this whole like, you know deck of cards here that's balanced on its, each one on its end you know and like if I touch this now it, the whole thing's going to fall apart you know um, so it was actually my first animation teacher at, at Animate uh, was a woman called Angie Jones who got me over that stage? Uh, I, I think some te- some some of her students, you know, found her kind of tough. And I think at the time, maybe it wasn't always fun, but I'm really really grateful for that lesson because she would always say, you know, don't fall in love with your drawings was the traditional way of saying it, you know. But in, in don't fall in love with your animation, just always be willing to change it. And um, and that 
that was, I think was probably the most important lesson I learned about animation. And like the other thing is don't take it personally when somebody says when a director or somebody says, Oh, we what if you came in the other way? What if you did this or what if you did you know, that's their vision and you're um you're there to, to realise that vision. You know, if you want to do something that's purely your own vision, then make your own short. Like make you know, absolutely do that but that's not what you've been paid to do. You know, it, it's you get to if you're working with a good director or a good supervisor, you will get to put your own stamp on it. But it still has to tick all their boxes as well while you're doing that. Um, so, and like getting used to changing stuff and 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 literally just trying out hours of work is um, and starting again is is really the most important lesson. Uh, one, I read a book a while back that talked about the idea of uh, process, not product. You have to love the actual process of doing something rather than always be looking forward to, oh, I can't wait to have this finished and have my great new reel and have this, you know, have the, the, the likes on Facebook and all the kind of adulation. You, you have to actually enjoy doing it. And that's, and that's hard because when you start doing it, you're really bad at it. And everything you do is you're, you're furrowing your brow and you're sweating and you're cursing yourself going, why am I doing this? This is, this is rubbish, you know. And, and then when you finally get something that looks halfway decent, you kind of go, oh, okay, I did it. Um, like what, our, my last teacher actually in, in animate was a guy called Ted T and what he had us do was like every couple of weeks he'd have a start a new shot and you'd be kind of but it was just no you'd go oh, start a new one and it, and, he, and it was the same kind of thing Angie was doing was just telling you no that it's not about making this beautiful shiny thing for your reel uh, it's about just getting used to the process and just repeatedly doing it and doing it and doing it and that that has been the most important lesson I've learned or you think as an animator and I'll go into meetings now and somebody will go you know oh, I don't know if you and I'll go go ahead you know it, it really doesn't bother me now I'll just go yeah fine I'll do it again um, and, I, and I just you know each one I do I learn something from it and I you know I just I don't you know the shots that end up on the cutting room floor or whatever are still ones you learn from it doesn't matter that that, that, that they don't get seen you know they're, they're still the stepping stone to where you ended up yes. and often the one you get at the end will be much better yeah so yeah. what you're kind of saying is that the as you're working the product isn't the animation it's what you're learning from animating yeah absolutely yeah and it's, i think it's just enjoying the process like like enjoying the being and being very flexible like particularly with vfx um, i think it's probably true of any uh, games as well i think it's very true as well people will often because in games animation has to serve the, the the gameplay it can't you know you can't make a run cycle that's beautiful but if it's too slow and the character's walking around just you know the, the player doesn't like how it feels that's much more important than how, how it looks yes yeah. uh, technically you know the the game feel is, is, is more important than than the actual you know aesthetics of whether it's a perfect walk cycle or not yeah so uh, something else i wanted to ask you actually just along that sort of theme of learning from your mistakes have you any product uh, projects that you found really really difficult but you're glad you went through because you learned something from it yeah absolutely i um i'm kind of reluctant to mention names just because you know but i worked on a project uh quite recently and um it was uh it was for, for an ar app and and it, there was a there was, it was kind of run through unity the game engine but it was a their own proprietary engine bolted onto Unity, so we never really got to test it. And I, I came on board as the kind of rigor Unity guy, and I'd already a, a slash animator. It, it was I, honestly, I think it was my last job as a rigor. Uh, I hope it was, <laughs> quite honestly, uh, because I think it was the one that made me say, "Right, 
it's animation now or or, or bust I'll, I'll go busking or something instead you know um, because it's just it was the kind of thing where I, I had done pipeline stuff for games uh, I released a, I worked with a company that, in the UK that released a, a PlayStation game there uh, or well PlayStation Xbox and, and PC um, console game and I did all the rigging for that and a lot of pipeline stuff getting game, or getting the characters from Maya into Unity and, and there's a lot of scripting involved in that as well automating things so the animators could get stuff out effectively and uh, that was demanding but it worked it always, there was always a feeling of we're moving forward but this other project that I worked with uh, on the AOR thing, where it was a proprietary thing bolted onto Unity, I never really got a full sense that whether anything was working, because I never was able to really test it properly on my end before sending stuff. And the people that were running it were in, were I was working for a company in the in the UK who were working for a company in the States, who um, who were, uh, I shouldn't say who they are, but they're a big company, and if you try and search for their name you'll use their name as the noun for searching things, you know. So that's a long way of saying who they are. But um, but yeah, their technology was only really exposed to them um, and, and we never really got a full handle on it. So there was always this kind of disconnect. And they were also trying to push, like AR on mobile phones is quite, it's still in its infancy. And they were trying to do quite elaborate characters, quite detailed characters, and we were doing quadrupeds and characters with tails and wings, and and there was a lot of limitations, technical limitations, and then high demand for quality, and trying to meet meet those two things uh, was was almost impossible, quite honestly. And then it, as as time went on, the, the the most stressful thing I've heard people say, the most stressful thing you can you can deal with is a lack of is loss of control. And that's what had going to happen during the project. I started feeling more and more that the people and the, uh, the other side were kind of gradually taking stuff away and going, oh, well, well, we'll finalize this. And I was never really getting to where, I, again, process, not product, but you kind of want to see some product or some or feel the process is at least processing <laughs> in a linear sort of way in some, some manner. And so I never really got to see it. I don't, I don't think it's actually been released yet. I think it's still kind of, in development the, the company I was working for they were, they were really nice people but they weren't that experienced in it and um, and I, I in hindsight I feel like I took on more than I expected to take on I, I thought things would have gone smoother and it just ended up being just a very stressful project um, the one for me the, the one thing that was quite good about it was it was reasonably well paid so I was able to take some time off afterwards and just relax. <laughs> and the other good thing about it was I ended up working with them. They, as we went on, we needed more animators. Uh, we ended up get, getting a guy called Pierre Lemmers, who's a really good animator. He's worked on Jurassic World and he's worked at DreamWorks and he's worked on one of my favorite games ever, Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, so he's, he's a Dutch guy. He's a really, really good animator. And I got friends with him, you know, just over the, the chats and stuff and sending him rigs and talking. And then he was the guy who put me on for the film I'm working on at the moment because he had that contact. He's he's worked in studios for a long time. He's only gone freelance himself in the last few years. Uh, so he's kind of gone the opposite way to the way I'm going. I'm, I'm trying to get into films. Well, I wasn't even trying to get in, but I just managed to get into to working on films, but remotely, which is which is the ideal for me. Yeah, and you're really enjoying the film you're working on now. Yeah, so. I am. It's it, it's just a blast. Like like I'm working with people who are way better than me. Mm. So that's always really nice. You know, I don't. It's 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 um, 
you know, it's nice to feel that you're constantly looking at people's work and going, well, I have to measure up to that. You know, it's a little bit of stress, obviously. But um, but uh, the first few shots I did were very simple shots, very short ones. And then as I progressed, they started giving me more elaborate, longer shots. And I got some quite, you know, important moments in the film to animate in the end. So it was kind of like, okay, there's a vote of confidence going back here. They're happy with my work. And, you know, there's a feedback loop that, that starts getting set up. And the people I was working for here had told me that, actually, that, that these guys are really good to work for and, and that was that was really the case like the, the animation supervisors the, the guys in, in, in Moscow who were running the place um, and the director everybody on it is just just really passionate no, very little egos very little you know pretty much the opposite of, of some of the, the worst jobs I've been on just everybody knows what they want has a professional attitude about it and is just working towards this being you know as good as it can be you know yeah. and that's just that's a dream come true, really. That's uh, I got, I'm actually going to work with the same studio on their next film as well. I've already kind of been talking about that with them. It's going to be a different kind of movie, kind of a darker kind of horror, sci-fi kind of thing. Um, so, it's yeah, that, that's really nice as well to be kind of long-term employed, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mad the difference just the people you work with will make uh, just like that like when they have a plan and everything else yeah yeah like that's the thing people uh, you know I, I sometimes when I've gone to things like like the dog pats and people go, how do you get into this work well, it's really it's two things it's your real and it's who you know and and at the beginning you don't have either of those things so the best thing to do I feel is just do your own private you know just your own little tests and just throw stuff up there and get feedback from people you know that's what I did with the Cinema 4D stuff I, I built a website early on I got a Vimeo account early on and I just constantly threw stuff up. I'm, I actually went and deleted a bunch of stuff off of today. I just, every now and then I kind of look back and go, oh God, I've got to get rid of that, you know, because <laughs> you, you're, you're pruning away the, the older stuff. You know, I, I think it's good to leave some of it up there because some people can see a progression, but for some of it, this just, you know, really hurts my eyes at this point, so, <laughs> so I have to take it down. Yeah, yeah. Have you any other advice for someone who is maybe trying to break into the industry or trying to get into freelancing or something like um, that? I think the main thing is try and be nice to work with. You know, there's there's a there's a, um, there's an actually I think I might have mentioned this on the, the, the dog pass thing as well. There's the Neil Gaiman, uh, the, the writer Neil Gaiman, and he he has like this video on YouTube or somebody made it of him, uh, where he's giving a commencement speech to a bunch of college students. You know, and they're you know he's kind of saying you know these are these are what you need to go out there in the world and be a freelancer. And he says there's there's three things you can be. You can be really good. You can be almost on time or really fast or you can be a lovely, you know, great person to work with. And two out of three will probably do it most of the time. He said, you know, if you're a really nice guy and your work's always on time, people will go, yeah, great. If you're not such a great guy but your work is brilliant and it's always on time, well, then you're going to stay hired, you know. So I, I know looking at other people's work that I don't measure up to what I want, so I just try and be as nice as I can. You know, I try and play off the Irish thing and, the, you know, um, just just be friendly, you know. And that counts for a lot. Like, like you'll see that in any industry. Like, if you look at um, my wife and I, we have a thing where we pick a film director and we watch, like, pretty much everything they've done and then we go to another film director. And the thing is, if you, if you watch film directors, they work with the same actors all the time. They work with the same um, uh, you know, composers as well, like Christopher Nolan, Hans Zimmer, or... You know, David Lynch, he, he hires the same cast all the time. And people like working who they like working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's the thing I've really found to be true. So if you can get in somewhere and just be nice, you know, be be nice to work with, you know, and, and 
you'll, you'll never know when six months or a year down the line one of those people will be somewhere else and will go actually that guy I worked with back then he, he's okay get him in you know yeah. I, think, I think and never underestimate the power of that like it's, it seems like a simple thing but but I think it's really crucial yeah. um, I think a lot of the work I've gotten I, I never really had a a career plan I would say you know it was kind of like be in a band, break your leg, you know, move into animation. That wasn't yeah, the, the that Brian, wasn't that Brian wasn't, Horgan method. Yeah. I didn't have that on a calendar somewhere, you know, <laughs> or a diary. You know, it was just f- falling upwards. I think they call it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> failing upwards. Um, so yeah, it's just you know, adapt, adapt, and and also I think the other thing is finding what you're interested in. That can take a while. You know, I, I actually did some teaching at Bally Fermat last year. Um, just for the first couple of months they had a teacher out in the VFX course that had to leave so they needed somebody to cover for about two months uh, so I did teaching I did I taught basic kind of introduction to rigging and, and animation in Maya to, to a bunch of uh, second year college students and um, you know I tried to give them a, a, a broad introduction to like what's rigging what's animation what's scripting I tried to cover basically the, the, the three things that I, I've experienced in and, and then after a couple of weeks, I said to them, well, OK, who finds rigging interesting and who hates it? You know, and there are people who were like, yeah, this this is just not me. And I was like, great. Well, now you've figured that out. You know, you're already ahead of the game. You know, you, you, figuring out what you want to do is, is half the battle, really, I think. Uh, and then once you've figured out what it is that really excites you, just pursue that, pursue that as much as you can. Try and do it to, you know, the, the highest standards you can do it. Um, you know, and I say I... I really hope I don't do rigging again. I haven't ruled it out. You know, if, if a cool job comes along and there's like animation but a little bit of rigging, I, I probably go, okay, is it well paid too? You know, it's like a, is it well paid? Will I learn something? And will it be fun? They're the, they're the three kind of things I, I measure a job by, you know. And if it's not too, too well paid but it'll be fun and I'll learn something, then I'll do it. You know, again, the two out of three rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's really well paid, it has to be really well paid though. If it's not going to be fun, I'm not going to learn something. I'll probably just turn it down. You know, I try and do that. You know, at the beginning, when you're starting off, you know, and you have no work, you, you take what what's available. But I think it's important to try and get selective because it, the work you do will always reflect how you feel about it. Unfortunately, you know, and if you're if, if you're if you're like the characters I'm working with at the moment, there's, there's these little robot characters. Uh, one in particular, is called, he's called Magley. He's he's. It's funny because he's the in the film he's the newest robot. He, he comes on and he's he's just recently been been built. And he's trying to keep keep up with all these other robots that are much more experienced than him. And I kind of went. I said to my wife, "I'm that robot. Like I, I, I empathize with him because that is me. I'm surrounded by these animators that have worked on movies before, and I'm the first. I'm this is my first movie, and I'm so I'm that I'm that robot. So it was really easy for me to empathize with him and to get into. It. And I'm actually working my last shot with him right now, and I I don't want to finish it. I'm kind of like. I could just polish a little, you know, just yeah. do another hour of just, you know. And my my supervisor actually has been really good. He's like, yeah, well, yeah, I know you are. Yeah, the director's already approved it, but we're now just, you know, fin- finessing it. Yeah, just trying to make it as nice as we can. And um, you know, there's still a few hours in the budget left for that shot. So, you know, that's uh, very cool that they're giving you that creative. Freedom. Yeah, that's that that's that's actually I think probably my, one of my favorite things about this job is that there's a real emphasis on quality. You know, we're we're not Pixar or Disney for sale in terms of the animation like we don't have the resources they would have but there is that emphasis on on just trying to make every shot as good as we can make it and you know and and there isn't a huge pressure to just knock it out i've had that on some jobs where it's just like you know just get it done and that's fine you know that's that that has to be the 
you know, with endless time, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll get a better product. But with more time, you will get improvements usually, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been really, really great fun to do this project and work, focus on quality rather than just getting it done. Um, before we started recording, you were talking to me about uh, one of the books you were reading. Um, what was his name? Uh, Anthony Storr? Yeah, Anthony Storr. Yeah, I read a lot of um, books. Um, music is my other kind of passion, I guess. I've all, I played music since I was a kid, and uh, it's still something that kind of... Um, uh, kind of almost a mindfulness thing I, you know a lot of times in, in the morning I'll play some guitar or some cello or whatever just to kind of wake me up when I'm having my coffee and if I have to think about a shop for a while I'll, I'll sit down and just play and so um, so yeah I've always I've an interest in, in music and in psychology as well and the, the brain how it works I've read stuff about neuroscience and um, I'm really interested in learning particularly um, like how you you learn uh, one of the things I really love about uh, neuroscience I won't pretend to be an expert but there's an idea in it called neuroplasticity which is the idea like because a lot of people you know have the idea that like talents are something you're born with and they're innate and like sure if you're five foot two you're probably not going to be a great basketball player but beyond that kind of thing beyond physical stuff I, I, I strongly believe that most talents that people have are, are really re- just a result of work and, and, and interest, you know, if you're interested in the subject and you're willing to put in the time. Um, so, yeah, so I read a lot about neuroscience and psychology and that kind of stuff. And, and Anthony Storr is a writer, um, an English, he was an English guy. He, he wrote several books um, on the connection between uh, psychology and creativity. Um, Music and the Mind was the first one I read. And um, I'm reading one at the moment. Um, I can't remember the name of it, actually, but they're, they're all on Amazon, you know, they're, they're, um, they're just very interesting books. He, he's quite a pragmatic sort of guy. Like he, he takes some of the ideas that people like Freud and, and, and Jung talked about and he kind of says, yeah, are they totally true? Uh, like Freud had this idea that, that all creativity was sort of uh, just a, a reflection of a sublimated, more primal urge, a sex urge or an aggression urge. And uh, you know, people who were doing creative things were just pouring their their energy into that instead to kind of... and. Storr argues that that's not that can't be the case. We, can, we we didn't end up with like the Sistine Chapel or you know the theory of relativity from just that. You know he he makes the argument that that there's, there's an inherent human need. Uh, there's an inher- inherent human part of the human brain that that likes patterns and likes order and likes structure. Um, he talks about it like in one of the books. Um, the idea that if you go around the globe and look at primitive art like what we call primitive art from our point of view um, you'll see the same kind of symbols come up again and again in Celtic art or in tribal art in, in India or Africa uh, so it's, it's almost like the brain has uh, a template that we're all kind of accessing and we always have and so he and you know music and things like that like have this structure that appeals to us they appeal to our sense of order um, you know, he talks about you know even the ideas like religion and things like that. It's it's people wanting to believe that there's, there's a sense of order in the, in the universe. You know, in, in that the world isn't just chaos and and um, and that a well, you know, a well structured person can can try and order their life around, you know, their work or their whatever it is that they do that they can kind of find peace through that. And he, he quotes a lot of different examples of, of composers. He's, he's big into music himself. Yeah. Uh, composers are particularly, but he also talks to people like politicians, like Winston Churchill, and um, 
philosophers and, and, and psychologists like Freud and Jung and all these, a lot of people like that. So it, these books are very, very easy to read. Like I'm not a psychology expert by any means, so they're easy for a lay person to, to get into. Yeah, interesting. But, um, but just I, I find the idea of learning and, and the idea of neuroplasticity very, very intriguing. Mm. Um, the idea that, the, you know, you kind of you are what you think. You know, you and, and like you, you can you can almost think of the brain as a muscle. What what you exercise will be what comes up. You know, you can um, and a lot of people like obviously there's there's a period in your life when you're a kid learning languages that that part of your neuroplasticity is is at its highest. But um, it's a thing that people people have kind of assumed. You know, there's all these cliches like an old you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but I really think that the modern science has actually proved that's wrong. It's it's really a matter of attitude. Uh, like I, when I was teaching guitar, I would notice that children would seem to pick up an instrument quicker than adults. But for me, what it was generally was what I could see was that children didn't care when they made a mistake. Mm. So so children would embrace, or not even be aware of it. They would just they'd be bashing the thing, the guitar in my case, and making a horrible noise. But they'd be happy that some sort of thing was coming out of it. Yeah. Whereas an adult would have a much better idea of what music is supposed to sound like and they would hit a bad note and go oh and be be embarrassed and be kind of you know they, that would hold them back so i feel like that's actually what holds adults back from learning is that fear of failure fear fear of looking foolish or sounding foolish in this case um and i think you know if you get get over that and just you know embrace the fact that learning is a series of failures yeah. like like it is actually failing 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 succeeding that you know and that's that's where success comes from is from failure um, and the same with science and you know it's also being open to things you know it's um, like the store has this great example a great concept called um, that's interesting and they said the, the amount of things that have happened in human society because somebody has gone oh that's interesting you know somebody leaves something out on the on the, on the window and it, a, a mold goes into it and they discover penicillin you know and they go oh that's interesting you know the accidents do happen it's being it's being open to to ideas and being open to to failure and to to just you know testing things mm. that's where a lot of breakthroughs and, and learning comes from yeah but you need to be open to yeah. making mistakes or, or yeah things, absolutely the unexpected yeah and that's i think that's the other side of it is fear and ego they're the things that really will you know a lot of people will, will find something that works for them as a philosophy or a psychology or whatever or a religion and they'll kind of cling to it as you know um, this is how things will work, and then sometimes something terrible will happen to them um, in their life, and will shake their faith. And you know, they'll either crumble psychologically, or they'll maybe grow from it, maybe learn something new. Yeah. I think that's um, a really important part of learning as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting though that it, it sort of transcends. Like we started talking about like rigging or learning art, but actually that sort of affects your whole life. That sort of yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and like that's really like, like I really love what I'm doing now, but I don't assume I'll be an animator for my whole life. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't. Um, I, I, ho- I hope that I'll keep, I'll keep animating because I love it. I, I love doing it, but I don't assume that's the only thing I'll do. You know, I'm. Um, it's not your identity, really. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's a big part of it. Is is, is trying not to. Uh, when I was younger, being in a band was definitely my identity, and I had a very rigid sense that, like, oh, I'm a band, I'm a guitar player, that's what I do. And even even in that, it was quite narrow. I remember, like, our, our singer at one point was like, oh, it'd be really great if you would uh, do some backing 
vocals on the songs and maybe the, some of the other guys in the band, you know, just to fit out the sound a bit. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a guitar player. I don't sing. Yeah. And I was kind of like, looking back at that now, I think, well, why not? Yeah. You know, it's it's still making music. It's, you know, so it's, it's something I'm trying to learn. It's maybe it's a middle age thing, you know. You start trying to see, like, where am I sticky? You know, that, that's... um. That's another phrase I think was mentioned in one of the store books. It's like, uh, or actually, no, it is. There's another writer, Stephen Nakmanovich. I'm sure I'm murdering the pronunciation of that name. We'll put a link in. But um, he wrote a great book um, on improvisation in music and life and art. That's the title of the book. And he wrote another one recently that I pre ordered because I love this book. But he talks about this idea of being sticky. He said, like, People say, oh, I'm stuck. But it's like, No, you're being sticky. You're, you're, you're looking at the problem from the same angle all the time. You, you need to, you need to to find a way to just get yourself out of it you know and um i find that a lot with scripting and stuff you, you kind of go oh i need to like do it this way and if i get that and then suddenly you'll go off and do something and it's like the brain is turning away in the background and suddenly it goes what if i don't approach it from a different angle you know and that's often where you find a solution to something yeah when you when you're not even sitting in front of it yeah yeah no absolutely often you need to get away like i find like things like walking or going to the gym or you know just just doing something else is often the best way to solve something. Um, just because, yeah, there's a certain, you get this kind of blinkered thing that, that's just, you know, tunnel vision sometimes. That I have to get it working this way. And it's like, well, you don't. You know, it might work better another way. Yeah. Have you any other book recommendations? Um, well, those those ones, the, the Anthony Store books, I think, are great. And then the Stephen McManovich, mm-hmm. uh, his books, they're on music, basically, but they kind of go well beyond that into, like, philosophy and psychology and that kind of stuff and they would be the books I kind of read the most I guess at the moment that that kind of stuff Um, and the other stuff I I do a lot is listen to music you know that kind of thing that's probably my other big inspiration yeah yeah Yeah, and and, and movies watching movies I think is a great thing for I think especially for animators it's very tempting to to kind of look at other animation and just kind of get a little bit focused on that too much whereas I feel like you know it's great to look at animation of course to see what other people are doing but but I feel like if you go look at classic movies you know um, you know Akira Kurosawa or you know Hitchcock or any of these kind of great directors or, and, and find good acting you know even in TV series nowadays like the, the standard of acting and the standard of production is huge like you know some of the big epic shows you know um, I think studying that is really good for any animator you know just just trying to tune into like why does that scene make me feel yeah. why do i believe that actor and that one i don't believe that other actor and that other one try and analyze that kind of stuff you know for um you know be a fan of the medium basically yeah and again know. that that curiosity yeah 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 absolutely uh, before we finish up, uh, where can we find your stuff online? Uh, my biggest presence is probably Vimeo, but if you go to my website, uh, graphite9.com, it's just graphite and then the number 9.com, mm. you'll find links there to um, to Vimeo and to my YouTube channel. And to, I, I started doing some demos on, on Twitch as well recently. Oh, okay, great. So there's links to all that stuff there. And then there's a link to Gumroad there where you can get some of my scripts. There's, there's, there's free scripts on the website itself. Like BH Ghost is there. And then the more some of the more elaborate ones, more the newer ones, uh, like Pathetic Path Adam ones, they're all on Gumroad. But they're all linked from the website. So just go to the website. You'll, you'll find all that stuff there. Fantastic. Okay, well, we'll put those links in the description so people can check it out. Great. All right, thanks very much, Brian. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to the 3D Meetup podcast. If you have any suggestions for how we can improve the podcast or the meetup, we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch at 3dmeetupdublin at gmail.com. If you haven't already, join us on meetup.com to stay up to date about our upcoming events. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know by rating us on iTunes. And if you want to help us keep the lights on, please support us on buymeacoffee.com. I hope you enjoy the show, and I'll see you at the next meetup.